Today's sponsor is Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Today's show is also sponsored by SoFi. SoFi offers student loan refinancing that saves members on average $19,000, which is a little less than Walt Mossberg spends on cigars annually. (laughs) They also partner with companies to help pay down employee student debt. See how SoFi can help you at SoFi.com. That's S-O-F-I.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as Carly Fiorina's running mate, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. And while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Walt Mossberg, and I think I'll have to check my notes here to remind me who he is. Oh, right. He and I have started two companies together, all things digital and Recode. Today, he's editor-at-large at Recode and executive editor at The Verge. Walt, welcome to my delightful show. I'm thrilled to have been finally asked to be on your delightful <laughs> well, show. Well, you have your own podcast. I have my name. own, but still. Yes, I, that's I, true. I, I want you to know I am here. I have a Trenta with me. Oh, fantastic. So I'm ready to go. All right. Well, we're not recording in our usual location. I'm at my podcast producer's house, and you're in your office in D.C. The these. world is remote. Remote, exactly. So we're going to talk about a bunch of things over the course of 30 minutes. But one of the things, the reason we're doing this is because we are relaunching Recode on the Vox platform this week, today, actually, the day we're, we're publishing this. And, you know, it's a good time to talk about sort of a little bit about Recode and where we're going and about the code conferences coming up in a couple of weeks and where you think things are going. Have you you seen our new our new look or not? Have you? Seen I have. That? Yes, I have. Do you like course. it? It's handsome, isn't it? I like it. It's fantastic. Yeah. So not just good. It's fantastic. It really is. It's really nice. And we're going to go on some newfangled publishing program that lets us do this new internet thing better. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, exactly. I'm already on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Can you give us some tips? No. All right. I thought so. I thought as much. But let's talk a little bit about like what's changed since we introduced all things D. And I think it's what we did it was just popped up on Facebook the anniversary. What yeah. was it? It was like a hundred years ago. Well, there were two anniversaries. We started All Things D as a conference-only business, as you right. will remember. Mm-hmm. In, and our first conference was in 2003. Right. And then we added the website, just like you said, uh, like April 26th or something in 2007. Mm-hmm. And, we, and it was interesting because we added it in a mad – everything we do is a mad scramble. Mad scramble. Sure, everything. This is pretty uh, organized, this new one. So it was a mad scramble to get – the allthingsd.com website going because we wanted it up and running in time for what was to become our biggest interview that we ever did at the D conference, which Mm -hmm. was the joint Steve Jobs, Bill Gates interview. And we did get it up and running and we did do a great job covering that interview. So what do you call our point was then? Because we did want to start off with a blog. If you remember, we went to the Dow Jones people, but they didn't know what a blog actually was. Oh, yes, was. I know. That was the problem. I remember all of it, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> what, what were we thinking then? Do you remember? I do vaguely. Well, it started out with the idea that, first of all, the people need to know that you and I both were columnists in the right. Wall Street Journal, which in, the in print. journalism print. is a big deal to be a columnist yes. in print journalism. And so we had good jobs, but we both were, 
I would say, ahead of the management of the journal and of Dow Jones at the time in understanding online and and, uh, the web. And so we tried to do a blog, and they didn't want to let us do it. I think they were afraid of, I don't know, somehow their standards being compromised or something. So we switched to the idea of the conference at first, and they got that established, and then we said, okay, now we want to do – Here was this was the idea. Let's do the conference all year round. So right. let's have news and interviews and things that the people that come to the conference and that watch the conference on online would be interested in all year round, and we'll expand the brand to a website, and they did buy that. Right. But it took a while. That really did take them, what, five years? I mean, long Kara, time. Every single, every <laughs> single thing we did just was exhausting, yeah, as why, you will why, remember. You know, at the time, what did you think about publishing then? Because it's changed rather dramatically. And we'll talk about those changes. But at the time, you know, when we debuted it, it looked pretty, like, antiquated. Just the pictures of us with giant pictures of us on it. And John Well, Pachkowski that's because we there. had three writers, two right. of whom were us. Mm-hmm. And we were the two best-known ones. So we had two giant panels of us. It, what I thought about publishing then was not that different, really. I mean, there's a lot in the weeds of publishing that you've talked about in your podcasts and I've talked about in mine, like off-site publishing and video overtaking words and podcasting having a revival and all those things. But in the big picture, the notion that publishing was moving to digital and to online was clear to us then uh, and it's clear to us now. Having said that, I think you and I are unusual a little bit in that I don't think either of us hates print. I hate or is, it. Oh, you do? Oh, yes, you know that. Because you didn't used to. No, I did. I did. No, you wanted to do a magazine at one time. Yes, only to make money, but yes. Okay. I think there's still some value in print, but I don't think there's any future in it. So, you know, I'm – look, I've been – even when I had my print column, it ran simultaneously on AOL. Right, right. Before it ran that. on the web, and then yeah. it ran on the web, and then I did a web-only one, a web – strictly a web-only column, and there weren't that many uh, at that time. And so I've been a believer in it for the whole time. What we did with All Things D, though, was very different. We weren't taking a newspaper and putting it on the web. We were creating a digital native product, and we did it inside of a very old, stuffy newspaper company at the time. And you know what what has been the resistance? Because it still feels resistant in terms of ways. I, I recall them just not even understanding the concept where the print was the sort of the center of the action. Yeah, and you can still uh, talk to people at the great old newspapers. I'm not trying to single out the journal, but the journal is part of it, uh, who say it's still too print-centric. Uh, it's a big change for them, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't understand it. I worked there for 40 years, right? and I had a career that I enjoyed very much and that I feel very good about. But I would have left, uh, just speaking personally, I'm not sure I've ever said this publicly, but I would have left a dozen years before I did if we had not been given the opportunity to be entrepreneurs and and to be online entrepreneurs and do all things. I talk to to people a lot about that. What was the moment like you decided? Because it's unusual. You had a very successful career. You had worked for the Defense Department. I mean, not worked for them, but you covered them. You covered the State Department. You covered cars. You covered sort of all the traditional newspaper big newspaper beats you're a bureau chief like I ask everyone what made you entrepreneurial can you put your finger on it like what was the 
was it that you just were a difficult person or you just didn't like the way things are? Or what do you, what do you think is the trait that brings I, that out? Because you got, shifted your career later in your career and so did I. I did. Really. I did. I, I shifted my career when I was 44 mm-hmm. to quit the Washington Beats. I had a great Washington Beat, a series of them. And I quit to start my tech column, which was a different kind of tech column. Uh, I think you have referred to it as almost the first blog. I do. Even I do. It was you had a print. relationship with your readers and that other people didn't. You actually spoke to them. Yeah. I used conversational tone and first person, and I championed average people. And I think what made me do that, to be honest, part of it was just I got tired of conforming mm-hmm. to an old system, and I wanted more control over my what, own what work. What prompted that? What was the, you know, because a lot of people just, they did I just got tired. I'll tell you what, I got tired of the internal marketing process. And I'm not, again, I don't want to single out the journal. I think this is true at a lot of publications. It's probably still true at some web publications, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just got tired of it. I wanted some freedom. And I had an idea that I thought was different. They, one or two of them at the beginning, and only one or two of them, got it, and then eventually helped me sell it to the others. But I wanted to have this conversation with readers and do, I mean, I did real reporting. In my case, it was mostly reviews. So it was real testing and real talking to the product managers and that kind of thing. But um, it was subjective. It was me putting a voice out there. And, right. um, and you tell the that, story that day when you came off the State Department beat with James Baker, who was the Secretary of State. So. Oh, okay. Well, so the Secretary of State at the time was James Baker, who had also been Secretary of Treasury and White House Chief of Staff, very powerful guy. And I went to see him in his very ornate office at the State Department to say I wasn't going to cover him anymore, which is a courtesy call. He'd had a million of courtesy calls like that from reporters. And he said to me, well, are you going to go cover the White House or the Supreme Court or something or become a, you know, the bureau chief or something? I said, no, I'm going to quit all this and, and I'm going to cover technology and computers. And his answer, and this was the chief diplomat of the United mm-hmm. States, was, what the fuck do you want to do that for? <laughs> That's not important. Right. This is important, in pointing to the State Department building, his office. Sure. And I said, well, Mr. Secretary, yes, this is important. Foreign policy of the United States is very important. But I think this digital stuff is going to be really kind of important. And he goes, I don't know shit about that. And I said, exactly. Right, exactly. Now, so it's really, I mean, it was definitely thought of as a step down that you had gotten to. Oh, totally. When, when I left the building, I later found this out. I left the State Department building to walk back to the Wall Street Journal office, and he immediately assigned two of his underlings to start making calls to find out why I was demoted. Yeah. In fact, you were promoted in your own – you promoted yourself, really, in a lot of ways. I did, yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And then let's fast forward. We're going to go to a break in a second. But how hard was that? Because you gave up sort of a fancy beat. Like, it's very hard. Like, every entrepreneur has that moment where they go, oh, I'm fucked kind of thing. Oh, well, I thought it was the right career move for my satisfaction. And I thought there was a market about to explode who would read this column. And I was Mm -hmm. arrogant enough to think I would be the best at it. But having said all that, I thought I would be stepping back in terms of prominence and fame and profile. Let's put it that way. I thought I would have a lower profile in the world. And of course, it turned out exactly the opposite. And that was okay. You were willing to do that because you thought- I was. I was willing to do that. And there were some family things too. I I had more more control over my schedule. That was a good thing. 
I had kids, you know, who were 10 or 12 at the time, and it was a good thing. But I honestly thought I would have a lower profile. And people came up to me on the streets of D.C. This is honest to God true. Several well-known journalists and people in the government came up to me on the street as if I had cancer and was dying uh-huh. and said, are you okay? Yeah. Well, you are you them. doing okay? And I <laughs> said, yeah, I'm doing fine, you know. <laughs> And then when you started the column, your first line of your first column the was? Far, first line of my first column was, personal computers are just too hard to use, and it's not your fault. Well, exactly. And it's still the same today. You haven't it fixed is. it, Mossberg. All right. When we get back, we're going to talk about that and more and trends and where we're going with the code and recode brand. If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable. Business, classics, history, self-development, just to name a few. Walt, what should I listen to next? What do you think? What's a good book? On audible.com? Yeah, yeah. I'm reading just a mystery book now called The Murder of Mary Russell. I'm not listening to the audio version, but I have listened to many books on audible.com. And do you have like, one that you like love them. the best? I'm a big mystery guy. The Don Leon Mysteries about Venice. Venice. I Inspector in- Brunetti, right? That's right. Commissario yeah. Brunetti. I was introduced to those on Audible before I ever read one. In, and you in like print. those. Yes. And I sound like a shill. Right. But it is true that I like listening to audiobooks. Yes, me too. I listen to podcasts now, more and more these days, though. I know. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. This episode has also been brought to you by SoFi. SoFi is a new kind of finance company that's helping people get out of student debt faster. Refinancing student loans with SoFi saves members on average $19,000. SoFi even partners with companies to help pay off employees' loans. Talk about a great employee benefit. See how SoFi can help you at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. And since Walt is joining us today, Peter Kafka decided he wanted to horn in on the fun too. Peter, what's up at Recode Media? Hey, Kara. Hey, Walt. Got the whole gang back together again. Very cool. Your show sounds great. Can't wait to hear the rest of it. Meanwhile, I want to tell you what's coming up on Recode Media. Samantha B., Sam B., formerly of The Daily Show, now has her own great show, Full Frontal, over on Turner. We're going to talk to her about how you create a modern comedy show in an age when no one actually watches TV. She's great. She's funny. She's super smart. A little angry. It's great. Tune in then. And now we're back with Walt Mossberg, my partner in crime. And we've committed a few crimes, presumably, correct? Well, yes. We once uh, threatened our employers that we would uh, not only resign, but put out a press release and hold a press conference saying that we were resigning because they wouldn't pay us. Yeah, we did that once. We didn't uh, do it, though. We should have. We, well, they paid us. I some, know. Something. I uh, some part of me wanted not to get paid so we but could But they were that. incredulous that we threatened yes. that. Yeah. We, we were pretty much insane. Let's talk to the people a little bit about how we founded it. We met when I was writing my AOL book, and I came to your office to talk about AOL. You were one of the first people to signal a lot of the changes that were happening in the digital space and also the digital publishing space. And I came to the journal on you. You got me to come there. Right. Covering the internet. The internets. And again, very difficult thing to do because a lot of people were resisting it at the time. And this was only 1996, correct? Yeah, somewhere around there. Something like that, yeah. 
Well, how we started it really was, so you went to the journal. You and I both had columns, as we said before, that actually ran on the same page on different days. And we remained friends, and we would occasionally also attend the same tech conferences. And there were a lot of them. And one day we were sitting, I don't know, in the back row, one of them, and just looked at each other and said to each other, this sucks. We can mm-hmm. do a much better job. Yes. And and what we really found lacking was serious questioning, journalistic questioning of these these tech luminaries and media luminaries on stage. Even if they had the right guests, a lot of these conferences were run by people who weren't journalists or if no, they were journalists. Putting their sponsors on stage. Yeah, or if they were journalists, they would maybe do one interview and let the rest be canned speeches. And we said, no, let's do one that's all interviews, as similar as we can make them to the interviews we do every day for our regular work. And no rehearsed questions, no PowerPoints, or very few. And um, No, we didn't let Bill Gates do PowerPoints, correct? No. Or Steve Jobs. Bill Gates said to me, or to both of us, I can't remember, he said- Mostly to you. You're not going to let me do PowerPoints? I own PowerPoint. And I said, yeah, I know, but you can't do PowerPoints. Yeah. And Steve Jobs said repeatedly that he understood he couldn't do slides. And then one year, I walked into the ballroom about an hour before he was supposed to go on because he was the first speaker that year. And our staff, our fantastic – we should say we have fantastic Fantastic staff. staff came to me and said, Steve Jobs is backstage preparing 55 slides. Mm -hmm. So I went to two, not one, but two of his high vice presidents who happened to be in the room. I said, you have to tell Steve he can't do slides. I talked to him about it on the phone last week. And they go, we can't tell him. You have to go tell him. (laughs) This is honest to God. This is true. I won't won't name the names of these two vice presidents. But anyway, so I went backstage and there's Steve preparing his slides with a couple of his young sacrificial tech assistants who, if they got anything wrong, were fired, I'm sure. And um, I said, Steve, we had to talk about this. You can't use slides. He said, oh, I thought you said we couldn't use PowerPoint. These are key- <laughs> these are keynote. I said, don't give me that bullshit. We can't use slides. And the staffers are, like, terrified. They're trembling. And he looked at me and he said, okay. And he didn't use slides. And yeah. he was great. He yeah. was always great. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about the conference, and then we'll talk about where publishing is going in the next segment. We were aiming to get great stuff, but obviously a lot of it was those interviews with Steve Jobs and the one with him and Bill Gates together. I mean, talk yeah. a little bit about those. Right. Steve Jobs did not go to conferences. No. Uh, and you can't count Macworld as a conference because that was basically just a platform for him to present his products. But he didn't go to conferences where anybody would interview him or anything like that, except for ours. He he came to the very first one of ours, so did Bill Gates, and Jobs did about six or seven of them. And every time he came, he would call and say, I'm not going to answer this question. You can't get into this subject. And it was like a ritual. And I Mm -hmm. would say, no, we're going to get into whatever we need to get into. And then he would back down. He would be great, actually. So he was a veteran of it, and every year the attendees thought he was the best speaker. Mm-hmm. Bill Gates was a veteran of it. He was also actually a, a terrific speaker. And then you and I had been talking for a couple of years about getting them together on stage. Mm-hmm. They'd never done a public appearance together where they answered questions from journalists. So there was and, tension between them. There was clear, obvious. Yeah, they had been lifelong rivals. But in a funny way, it's like ex-presidents who campaigned against each other. I mean, after a while. Eventually. 
there's only the two of you that can that have had the shared experiences that can talk to each other and they always had a kind of a funny mix of hatred but respect mm-hmm. it was kind of strange and finally we we said we're going to go for it this year we're going to try and i called i decided to start with jobs because i thought that? he he was the likeliest to say no and he got on the phone and i said will you do this and he said do you really think bill would do this and i said well, I don't know. I haven't called him, but I think he'll do it if you'll do it, which is why I'm starting with you. And he goes, "It's like the Middies peace talks." And he goes, "Okay, if Bill will do it, and and we can keep it on a high statesmanlike level, right? I'll do it." And I said, "Great." And I called Bill, and Bill goes, "You're telling me that Steve said he would do this because I don't <laughs> believe that." And I said, "Yeah, he just doesn't want it to be like a cat fight. He wants yeah. it to be like on a on a high level." And Gates said, "Well, so do I. I'll do it." And that was it. Yeah. It was like the, I called you and I said, I can't believe it. They both agreed to do this. And it was yeah. like amazing. And, and so then, what did we do? Then we did to... the first – this was the first time we ever did this. We put out a press release uh, saying that we're going to do it to make it harder for them to back out. Yeah, that's and, right. And <laughs> um, I remember dictating the press release or, or composing it. It was like a three-paragraph press release in a car on a conference call with both of their PR people who had never talked to each other. Right. And uh, it came yeah. off, and what it did was you, What did fantastic. you like about that interview? Because that, I think, is one of our greatest interviews at Code. The, my favorite part of that interview was when you asked them to kind of sum up what you thought was the best thing about the other one. Yeah, that was good. No, I like the part where I said, what do people don't know about your relationship? And yeah, Steve, yeah. Steve <laughs> said to Bill Gates, well, for a long time, people didn't know we'd been married for a while. And, <laughs> we've, and we've Gates kept our was marriage secret so hard years, yeah. not to be anti-gay, not to be like, he's like, you could see every emotion come over his face. Yeah, like, but he was so Did he just get me again? Uh, yeah. But what's the greatest misunderstanding between you and your relationship and about each other? What would you say would be this idea of catfight, this idea of which one of the many? We've kept our marriage secret for over a decade now. <laughs> he just didn't know what yeah. to do because there yeah. was no J- good answer. Job sort of seized control of that interview. And, he, and he, he even ended it with a quote from a Beatles song. We yeah. were very careful with Jobs to always play either Beatles songs or Bob Dylan songs when he came on stage because those were his two favorite things. You know, I think of most things in life as either a Bob Dylan or a Beatles song. But there's that one line in that one Beatles song, uh, you and I have memories longer than the road that stretches out ahead. And that's clearly true here. Well, you know what? I think we should end it there. Let's just end it there. I'm going to have a little tear right here. Yeah, and it was very touching. It was was an interesting interview, and it told a lot about the tech world at that time. I'm not sure what it would be like now, but at the end of that interview, it was a standing ovation. I don't think there ever had been one up to that point. And people literally were crying in the audience. And I remember whispering, you whispering to me or me whispering to you, oh, my God, people are crying. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I don't know how to compare it. It was like, I don't know, the... The Pope and the chief rabbi or something having had a summit. to do with – he was actually in good health then. He was in better health. He had He was. But to our attendees and to lots of people who have watched it – and you can get it, by the way. It's We donated it. It's mm-hmm. free. You can get it on iTunes uh, in pristine condition, mm-hmm. downloaded. It's beautiful. But to those people, it was like it was it was like a religious experience to see mm-hmm. the two of them on stage. Yeah, I mean, he was, and in the last one we did with him right before he died was very touching too. But he was great. He looked like he was going to collapse in any second, as he was so gaunt. But he his energy was very high. 
is he missed from tech, do you think? I mean, one of the things, obviously, it was great to have him at our events, but is is that spirit missed, or was is that too overblown that one person can personify all that? One person can't do everything, and there are other great people like like Zuckerberg, like Sundar Pichai, uh, who's speaking at our conference this year, like Jeff Bezos. These people are very, very important visionaries. But I think Steve Jobs is a historical figure. I think he... He did have a certain vision and a certain grit to the point of being obnoxious sometimes in order to push his views through. And I think that that's kind of a magical thing that that is missed. It's certainly missed at Apple. Yeah, absolutely. Any other memorable interviews that you liked over those many years that we've done them? Oh, you know, there were, there were lots of them. I think any time Barry Diller came on stage, it was hilarious and, and also – illuminating i think larry ellison the same way uh howard stringer when he was running sony was terrific uh obviously you can't fail to mention the mark zuckerberg interview where you know we couldn't talk to each other but i think we both thought he was going to faint on stage sweat the sweat moment it was i turned out i think to be some kind of a i mean he was not he was ill or whatever and uh, you saved the day by asking him to remove his hoodie, which he had never done, and then it turned out I don't think you knew this, but it no, turned out to have to have all these symbols. sort of Illuminati type Illuminati symbols, symbols inside and you know, and then it was okay and then I stopped hammering him you about hammering privacy. Him. If he had well, fainted, you told you know me what? to. If he had fainted, I would have had to do like CPR. I'd have to like do this. And, and you right. would have just stood there. You would have done the damage and then every picture in history right. would be me kissing. But I want the listeners to know that you asked me to handle the privacy part of the interview. So I, I did. Yet, and, and yet, I don't think you know, knew how sweaty he was. I think you were too far I away. did. No, I did know it. Yeah. Wasn't that. It's only... And you were maybe two feet closer. It was horrifying next to him. He was was pale and sweaty, and I really did think he was going to faint. You wouldn't have done that. You would have made me do the CPR, right? Of course. If that had happened. Well, it's just only fair. (laughs) It's only fair. Um, I I felt the testy interview with Carly Fiorina, now looking forward to today. Oh, you did a great job on that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the first indication to me, public indication, that she was a politician. Right. She she did what politicians are trained to do, which is don't answer the question, just repeat my message. Right. Right, and absolutely. she knew nothing. Yeah, she was out six months later. A lot of people got fired after appearances at our events. Yes. My, yes, we have a record of that. <laughs> we have a record. Let's. I don't know. People who did this. terribly. Um, the head of Verizon did terribly. A guy named Ivan Seidenberg. Yeah. He didn't know what Bluetooth was. People right. were horrified. Yeah. Um, Michael Dell did not do well, and no. I think he wasn't fired. What did he say? But I, sell you know. Apple at it. Like sell all your shares. Well, at not at our conference, but he, he very Same famously thing. somebody asked him, what, you, "What would you do if you were the head of Apple?" At, at a point when Apple was in trouble before Jobs returned, and he said, "I would close up shop and give the money back to the shareholders." Yeah. Exactly. Which is pretty amazing, particularly considering that Dell was in terrible trouble and had to go private. And you know, now that it's private, you don't really know what their numbers are, sure, how well they're doing. Absolutely, but they're making you know, some good computers. So you know, and we had—I mean, I think one of the most surprising ones was a woman named Regina Dugan, mm-hmm. who I had to woo. I literally had to go over to her office and woo her. She was the first woman to run DARPA, the research agency of the Pentagon. It's all super secret. And she had never spoken at a tech conference or at any kind of a broad public conference. And I, with the help of a very smart 
woman that worked for her. I convinced her that we could be trusted and that she should come. And she wow, walked, wa- walked down on that stage in, you know, like four-inch heels. Leather and pants. The whole thing. She was not your, like a your, bomber your jacket. grandfather's defense department. No, sure. she didn't look like that. And people were like either in the hallways or starting to do email because after all, it was just somebody from the Pentagon. And and within five minutes, nobody was doing email. People were flowing back in from the halls because she started talking about planes that could fly around the world in an hour and epic shit, which was her famous phrase. Yeah. And, you know, that was a good one. She was great. All right. We'll talk about what's coming up for Recode and the Code Conferences next after a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by GoCD, the open source continuous delivery server created by ThoughtWorks. GoCD offers complete customization for your software's individual needs. There's no plug-in or workaround needed. GoCD just goes. Spend more time delivering and less time configuring. Commercial support and enterprise add-ons, including disaster recovery, are available. Download GoCD for free at www.go.cd. And now I'm going to hand it off to my colleague, Jason Del Rey, to tell you about the Code Commerce Conference. Thanks, Kara. At Recode, we're about to unveil a new series of one-night events called Code Commerce. And the first one is coming up soon, on the evening of Tuesday, May 17th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Kara and I will be on stage interviewing Zappo CEO Tony Shea, Target.com President Jason Goldberger, and the Real Real founder and CEO Julie Wainwright. It's going to be a fun night of unscripted conversations about what's working in both online and brick and mortar commerce, what's not working, and most importantly, what comes next. Hope to see you there. Thanks, Jason Del Rey. To apply for an invitation to the first Code Commerce event in Las Vegas, visit recode.net slash events. That's Code Commerce Conference, May 17th in Las Vegas. We only have a few tickets left, as I understand it. That is next week, so get going. More information at recode.net slash events. I'm here with Walt Mossberg, to whom I owe my career, who got me into covering the internet and other things. Um, I covered it before at the Washington Post, but Walt's the one that really pushed me forward, and I thank you for that, Walt Mossberg. I think you'd have done just fine without me. I suspect, me, too. Swisher. I'd probably be running a small country, though, instead. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what we're doing. We're going to ch- we're changing our publishing platform, and that's not like interesting to people, but you know, publishing is hard. I mean, we we got into it, we got some investment, and then we sold to Vox. Let's talk a little bit about sort of the cha- the difficult of being a publisher these days. I mean, how do you look at it? Well, I, I think it's people that may not realize this, but it's very hard to make a website of quality profitable. Yeah, and it's no one's just, going to it, It's just very, very hard. You can do maybe do it if you're just publishing listicles or something, mm-hmm. but even then, I'm it's not, not sure. It's not working anymore. I'm yeah. not sure it's working. The one of the things we discovered is it's very hard to be small, but it's very hard to get big. And part of it is if you're dependent on advertising, which almost everybody is, they change the rules of the game constantly. We had our company recode on our new website for exactly one week, and we were at a dinner at CES with some very important advertising folks. Because we're good at that, kissing up to advertisers. Well, NBC, which was one of our investors, had a dinner, and you remember they invited Mm -hmm. us, and Mm -hmm. we – each stood up and said a few words. and uh, But uh, we were seated next to the head of this advertising company who said to me something like, well, I really always liked All Things D, and in your first week, I think Recode has published some really interesting stuff. And I said, great, so you're going to advertise there, right, or place ads there? And he said, well, let me just tell you the truth. We're going to place ads there for a little bit, 
We're going to drop cookies. We're going to figure out who your readers are. We're going to find out what other websites they go to that are way cheaper than your website. And then we're going to pull our ads from your website and move them there. Yeah. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> really? He's <laughs> like, really? So, I mean, that's just a small example of it's just very hard to do quality journalism, which is expensive. Right. Uh, and, and, you wanna... and consumers have changed how they consume, including yourself, including me. Like, right. People don't go to your website anymore. You may think the homepage of the website is the most important thing. And in fact, Recode is is launching a beautiful new homepage. It's mostly oriented around other distribution, I'll tell you that. But that's the point. I mean, the point is that uh, at Recode at The Verge, where I'm now based, uh, at Fox Media in general and other online media companies, it's widely understood and has been for a while that most of the people reading your articles are coming in uh, what is called sideways. They see a link on some social media or somewhere else they come in, they read the story by Kara, the story by Walt, the story by Peter Kafka, whoever it is, and then they leave. If you're lucky, they may hang around and read a second story. But it's not like they're firing up your website like, you know, yeah. eight, maybe eight years ago. They're firing up your website. It's bookmarked. They fire it up. They want to see what's going on in tech that day. So they look at Recode or The Verge or if it's a news thing. And it's all mobile too, by the way. It's yeah, all, it's not all just, mobile. Not on the and so and... they're there for a minute. They're gone. And now the big new thing is offsite publishing. So you used to promote yourself on Facebook with a link, with a post that had a link embedded in it, and it would go to your website. Then the next thing that happened was the web page would be rendered inside the Facebook app on your mobile device. It wouldn't have to go to the website. Now, it doesn't even get rendered by the browser inside Facebook's app. It's an instant article. I don't know if Recode's articles are in this program yes, yet. Cool. Yeah, I think so, so um, like my columns are that are on The Verge and Recode, by the way, which is fantastic uh, for me. And But if somebody taps and wants to read my column, it just instantly appears all beautifully laid out, kind of flipboard style mm-hmm. or Apple News style, but so, right inside Facebook, and it's right there. So now, what are, what are we to do? What is publish? What's going to happen to publishing? Well, I think it's dangerous. Uh, I'll tell you why. And you can't ignore it. And Vox being a forward-looking company is not ignoring it. But here's the thing. First of all, you have to devote a team of developers to meeting whatever it is the standards or the platform is for Facebook, separate one for Apple, separate one for Snapchat. Soon Google has one. You have to meet all those, and there may be others. Secondly, right now the economics are really good. They let you keep all the ad revenue, whatever, you know, even Apple, it's a very good deal. But if you become utterly dependent eventually on Facebook for people to read your stuff and to see the ads that have been sold against your stuff, there's nothing to stop Facebook in three years when they have you completely under their control from changing the economic right, terms. Exactly. Sounds like AOL back in the days. Yeah. You know, if you were giving advice to anyone getting into publishing, what would you give me three quick things? And then I want to talk a little bit about code that's coming up. Oh, geez. I, you know, if uh, getting into publishing, I'd say you got to be big. 
You got to get big. You got to figure out a way to get big. And that's one, you know, we were doing fine with Recode. We had plenty of money left. We were winning awards, but we needed to get big and we needed to get bigger fast. And, and so the combination with Fox Media made a lot of sense. So you need to get big. I think I would stick to quality, high quality. And I think I would build brands. I think I would let my people, the people that actually write the articles or do the videos or do the podcast become brands. And so where those are they going to be things. reading us? Where on the v, on the VR things or AR or where? Like uh, VR is like I mean VR is going to be a gaming thing, and I think for general use, it's ten years away. Yeah. And, and some people think a lot of people think AR, which is augmented reality, which is kind of a mixture of the mm-hmm. real world and some. Google Glass Part 2, really. Well, Google Glass wasn't really AR. But, I mean, yes, AR is is going to be – could be the bigger thing than VR. But they're both – until they're really no thicker than a normal pair of glasses, I don't think they're going to be a mainstream thing. So where are people going to read? On their phones still, continually. Probably phones, tablets. I'm a tablet guy. I love reading stuff on the tablet because it's kind of halfway between – if you look at the browser on a phone, it's not a very attractive place to read things. If you look at the browser on on an iPad, it's a good place to read things. And also iPad apps give you a lot more things that you can do with the material. So big changes since we started. And and do you imagine the next 10 years being big changes, big, enormous changes? I think constantly. I think all kinds of new things are being – I mean, I wouldn't – What's I, the craziest a, thing you've heard recently that you're like, oh, we better watch out for that? Uh, well, artificial intelligence – here's the craziest thing. So I had an exchange yesterday, just yesterday, with a guy who used to be a very senior engineer on the Windows team at Microsoft, and I knew him for years. And I'm not – talking about Steven Sanofsky, who ran the team. I'm talking about somebody much less well-known, but a very important guy who was involved in the user interface stuff. And he has left Microsoft and started a company where they use artificial intelligence to help businesses write things better. So that you'll be writing along in their, in their word processor, their AI word processor, and it'll say, um, you know, I think this word – you should use this other word or other yeah. phrase because it's not a spell check or a grammar thing. It's actually saying, oh, this is a document you're writing for the purpose of um, attracting talent. Mm-hmm. And this phrase will work better. Oh, and, wow. and we know this because we've collected all this data and we think this phrase will work better. And I'm like – so bots are basically going to take our jobs, Swisher. All of them. All of them. I think they're going to take – they should. We deserve it. Humanity deserves it, yeah. don't you think? So don't it'll you? it'll be – You know um, I'm a Terminator fan, as you know. I, I, I do know. You, right you are a Terminator fan. And it, so it'll be – and you'll be mayor anyway, so you won't give a damn. No, or and will re- it be me? And or it'll, is it'll it be, a robot it'll, And will it be you? I don't know. But <laughs> I, I think uh, Rebot will Rebot. be the, Will be the name, <laughs> no, but, but it's eventually. really it's kind of scary. And so let's talk. Just quickly finish up talking about code. What are the big issues? Do we have issues this year? Do we? We never have issues, but I don't there, think we have I Bezos have, there. What do you? You're going to be interviewing him and Gates. What do? You, what are some of the things you're interested? Well, in? Well, they're they're slightly different. Um, yeah, I'd say with so. Be- Bezos, two things. One is beyond just the normal. What you would think of as Amazon and and Alexa and AI, which are all very important. But Bezos has become, with Steve Jobs gone and Bill Gates retired, Bezos is really kind of this one of the senior visionaries of, of tech. So I'm going to want to talk to him about that. 
And he, the other thing is he's he's involved in other things. He owns the Washington mm-hmm. Post, so there's a lot to talk about about the future of news and journalism. Mm-hmm. And he also has this space company, like uh, Elon Musk, another one of mm-hmm. our guests. Yeah. So I mean, the I one think who that, everybody has a man crush on, right? That's a yep, yep. yep. Yeah. That, so so that's a really, really interesting topic. And, yep. Yeah. He's and with about and with Bill AI. Gates and Melinda Gates. Uh, they're actually very generously taking time out from something they're running in Seattle. I know they have their own plane and all that, but they're taking time out from something called the Giving Pledge, which is uh, something they're running with rich people about the need for smart philanthropy. And we're going to talk about smart philanthropy. We have a, you know, we have a, an attendee group at our conference that has a high net, net income, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are giving money, but they may not get, be giving it in a smart, effective way, and we're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of wealth has been created, and, and how, how does that get channeled? When you look back at all these different changes, your career and everything else is my final question, what are you looking forward to? Like, Why are you keeping doing this? What, do you, what keeps you going? I don't mean to say retire, Mossberg, but you know what I mean? Like, what's exciting to you when you look at the landscape? Because you've been through so many iterations, not just of your career, but of tech, and even just the short amount of time we've been doing this and before that. What has surprised you the most, and what do you imagine you're most interested in going forward? I think I've been most surprised by surprise. Mm -hmm. You know, I talk to enough of these people, and you talk to even more than I do, and I think we both feel like uh, many days we both feel like we have sort of a handle on what's happening. And then somebody we never heard of or somebody that we have been talking to but just hasn't been telling us this particular thing comes up with something we didn't think of. And there has been – I'll be honest. There's been less of that in the last year or so. Right. A year and a half Feels or like that so. with Apple and other companies. It yeah, but little... I think we're just at a pause – you know, before this VR, AR, and particularly artificial intelligence slash bot mm-hmm. stuff and the and the driverless cars and all that, which depends on artificial intelligence, hits us. And it's going to hit us in a big way, ranging from bots on Facebook Messenger to actual robots to AI everywhere. And it's going to be – I keep going because it's fascinating and because, by the way – just like in 1991 when I started my column at the Wall Street Journal, I don't have too much bossing. Mm-hmm. I pretty much – I don't like bossing other people and mm-hmm. I don't like being boss. Mm-hmm. So so, I'm our, just, so let me finish up. Are computers or digital too hard to use and it's not your fault still? I think it is. It is. It's true. It is. Anyway. It's, st- it's still true. And it's still true that you are the best natural reporter I've ever met. <laughs> I'm just irritating is what I <laughs> You are You've irritating. Just taken obnoxiousness and, made and it no into one a knows any of this more than me. But yes, that's you know, true. you're you're fantastic, and I can't believe you just sat here and interviewed me. I know. How it's many fast. hours of conversation have we had? Oh over God, the years? so many, so many, so many. We talk too much about tech. That is true. But in ten years, if we're talking about tech, do you imagine it will be Apple and Google up there? We have Google there. We don't have Apple this year, but we have Google. We've got Elon Musk. We have got Amazon. We have got Microsoft. We've got Ford. We got all kinds of companies. I there. think there'll be. Who will at, it be? I think there'll be at least at least one or two of those companies will be less relevant, and we may not want to have them because we're ruthless. And because mm-hmm, um, we are, and there'll probably be one hot. or two. Look, look, we wouldn't have had Elon Musk five years ago, right? You know, PayPal was boring; we wouldn't have had him. And it was um, 10 years, yeah. and there'll be somebody we've never heard of that we'll yeah. have, and that's the great thing about it. I have one more question. What would you like to be invented? Like if you could – I want a time machine. Like I'll just – I'll serve that one up. 
I want a time machine. Well, who doesn't want a time machine? That's, Many people don't want a time that's machine. A, that's a that's an easy right, what lob. Inve- okay, what that's do you, like, you okay, you're already a politician. Fun. Whatever. Oh my god. No, a time. Who, what politician would say time machine so I could go back and make sure I was mayor? That's not. Nobody would admit to that. That's a plot <laughs> of a movie. But I think that was a Jean Claude Van Damme movie at one point. Time yeah. cop. I highly recommend. Why it. do you want to be? We have to talk about this. No, mayor we don't. Thing. We don't. We don't have to talk. Um, another, another time you not, can interview me on Control Walt Delete about that. But I think because I? I really feel I am the leader. <laughs> like when Neil's on vacation, times. will you come on and let me grill you about yes. politics and yes. mayor? You know why? Because people need to be involved in government. Because we are. We. I hate to agree with Donald Trump on this, and trust me, literally, I'm like like nauseous this morning at this point. But the fact of the matter is, he's speaking to a very good point: is that politics need to change, just like technology has changed lots of things. It has to change. So what I would like the most is for the phone or the tablet or the mm-hmm. watch or the device, whatever it is, to be artificially intelligent in a way that was entirely under my control and actually helped me. Everybody mm-hmm. says it helps you, but it doesn't yet. None of these right. things, even Alexa, Siri, none of them really help you. None of them really say, wake up and say, hey, Walt, you idiot. You, you got to leave right now, or you right. got to, you know, don't forget it's Mother's Day Sunday or whatever. They don't do that stuff. So you want more people to push you, or around. you know, p- take your pill, or go to the doctor, or whatever, right. or whatever it is. You know, they don't do that. And you want that? You want more people or, telling you? Or hey, to do. there's a movie that's just like the other movies you've liked, mm-hmm. and, and if you get your ticket now because it's going to be hard to get. Mm-hmm. Or here are Hamilton tickets. You know, I mean, well, that's never going to happen. But well, but none of them do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I would like that. And, you know, I might not live to see it. I don't know. Yeah. I would like a time machine. That's it. Because, I mean, you're old, but I'm way older. Uh, that's true. Let's discuss our age at another juncture. We're young at heart, Mossberg. We'll we get are. Noah, Noah on here and we'll discuss it. Yeah, okay, whatever. Noah's <laughs> older than us both in a weird way. Oddly enough. <laughs> he is? I think we're fresh. I think we're a fresh <laughs> pair. Anyway, right. Mossberg, I'm looking forward to seeing you in a few weeks where we grill yeah, the top too. tech people. We're going to have another great year at the Code Conference. And we're thrilled you're on our Recode site. It's going to look even purtier. Not that anyone's going to go to it, but <laughs> we, we're going to be purty. Yeah. Uh, no, we have lots of ways to distribute and everything else and we really appreciate all that you've I'm thrilled us. to be on the Recode site Just, right. I'm thrilled to be on the Verge oh my God, now site we're complimenting I'm to you, be you on sound both. like an Oscar thank you so much for this award no they're, they're very complimentary and they're great sites well Mossberg it's been a great ride thank you for coming on it the has show been today. it's not over yet not, not at all not by a long stretch we're going to be driving around in our autonomous vehicles until we're like 912 and now you read six more ads. Is that right? Yes, I have to. No, I'm not going to read any more ads. I'm going to push control, walt, delete. Just hold on and listen. Okay. <laughs> and it was good for you to come by. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with former Texas State Senator Wendy Davis, AOL co-founder Steve Case, and 23andMe CEO Ann Wojcicki, just to name a few. You can find all those interviews and more at recode.net slash decode and also tune into Walt's podcast Control Walt Elite with Neelai Patel and that's Walt Walt that's a really good podcast great name by the way thanks yeah did you just think that up yourself no I had nothing to do with it I just didn't veto it greatest podcast name in history next week I'll be talking to representative Nancy Pelosi who's also house minority leader about this crazy election and a lot more initiatives crazy it is a crazy election Mossberg don't you think I've never seen anything like it I know 
And I just, You're a Trumpist, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I think Hillary Clinton needs to crush him like a grape. All right. Oh, ow. That's disgusting, Mossberg. And I'm kind I, of... That's a political... I've never said anything political well, on the podcast, but there we go. If you had said Trump, I think there would have been a slight divorce going on right now. <laughs> anyway. Are we still married? Apparently we are. It's the best marriage I've ever had in my life. Anyway, it's the only one that's lasted this long. All right, Mossberg, thanks a lot for tuning in. Thanks, Swisha. Bye. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.